0: Welcome back to One Nail at a Time, insights for building your patient's medical home. I'm Laurie. And I'm Michelle, and we're with the Alberta Medical Association. On today's show, we're going to be talking
1: about capacity for improvement. And I have to say, Laurie, whenever I look at that infographic of the patient's medical home implementation elements, I think people are probably familiar with it. It's like a picture of a house and it's got steps steps inside that are the the implementation elements right above engaged leadership the next one is that capacity for improvement which seems kind of mysterious (laughs)
0: what exactly does that mean well, there's a couple different ways we can look at that, Michelle. Uh, if we're using the house analogy, we can think about it being one of the foundations upon which we're going to make the clinical changes mm-hmm. that we need not only the leadership to be engaged, but we need we need a way that we're going to change. We need a method that we're going to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other analogy that I like to use uh, is thinking about building a muscle. Is that we're going to do some push-ups? We're going to build some strength in our arms, and then we can use that strength to throw a football or <laughs> swing a baseball bat or play hockey or whatever we're going to do with those muscles. Um, and then we can use that over and over again. And that's really what this capacity for improvement is. It's it's building in a new. It's building in a structured mm-hmm. approach to making change.
1: Ah, oh, okay. And I we interviewed today, Doctor Byrne, and, and she has been doing this work with her clinic and and I, I really like how she explains explains it in a way that kind of helps us to see that it isn't complex. It isn't the same robust approach that someone would take if they were doing research. It's a much more simplified and practical approach, getting just enough information to learn whether
0: something's working or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so she's talked a little bit about the approach that she took with her team. And of course, she warmed my heart and she (laughs) talked about the importance of measures and quality Uh, improvement. Data. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Should we take a listen? Let's go. Niamh,
1: I know at your clinic, you have done a lot of work, put a lot of effort into quality improvement. And I think probably a lot of people would wonder why, why
2: would you, why would you expend that energy? One reason is that it actually makes practice more interesting because there's like, I, if you have something going on and it's, you don't know what's going on and why it's happening. You want to sort of start asking the questions as to, well, how do I stop that from happening? So say that, I mean, a really simple example, which doesn't happen so much anymore because we've got electronic records, though, is that a lab result is not on the chart when you want it. Right. And so how do you fix that? Well, the way to fix it is to go through a quality improvement process to try and figure out how it can be there when you want it there when the patient comes to see it. Hmm. Um, and I know that our residents have a big problem differentiating between what is quality improvement and what is research. Quality improvement doesn't need huge numbers. It doesn't need to have the same thing going for months at a time. It doesn't need to have that inflexibility that research has. So quality improvement can be done in a clinic with looking at 10 charts and seeing, okay, so we had 10 charts that didn't have the lab results there. How, what was going on that they didn't get there? And just looking through that and then making a change and then taking some random 10 charts and seeing if it's still a problem. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be, and then if we find, well, we have fixed it or we didn't fix it, then trying something new. It doesn't have to be that, okay, this is my intervention, and I'm going to do it on 2,000 people to see if it works. Right. Yeah. you don't need that kind of rigor. You don't need that. It's not the point. You're not trying to make new knowledge. You're trying to fix your own system. It's totally for you in your own clinic. And so it gets rid of some of the frustrations of practice. It's fun to do because you know you're making things better. You know you're improving the care for your patients. Um, And it feels good.
3: You know, I think some practices would say, you know, this is hard to do. I don't have a quality improvement team. I'm not in a manufacturing business where you know there's a quality improvement arm to my to my business model. So, you know, how do you make it easy and doable? How do you build a QI approach and team in a in a family practice?
2: Well, I think one of the really important starting places is to get the entire clinic together because it's not. Or if it's a huge clinic, getting one of each of the roles together. Because it's not a physician-only practice, that doesn't work. It needs to be the whole, all of the roles in a clinic, because your receptionist can see things that you don't see. And so having that initial meeting, and then if one person can act as a facilitator, going through, okay, so what's driving you crazy in our clinic? Is there something we can do to improve your life in this clinic? And approach it as that, as opposed to, okay, reception, you keep making a mistake about this. Like that, it's, quality improvement is not about putting blame and shame. It is about, okay, we've got a problem. How are we going to fix this? And each person has a part that they can help fix. So... I think that's the first step is to get the clinic together, make sure that everyone feels that they have a voice, mm. that they can contribute something, and come up with some of the things you'd like to solve.
3: Oh, turning the, uh, I have a problem with what you're doing to, we have a problem as a group, how do we approach it?
2: Exactly. Yeah. yeah.
3: yeah. And you talked earlier about making it small. Right? Yes. You know, 10 charts. So any other tips in how do you, how do you make it easy? to do if you have that team and they say, yeah, we want to try this.
2: So the next step would be to do something like a flow chart to see, to look at a process, to see where, what each of the steps are and not making a lot of steps, like only a maximum of five steps and then saying, okay, where is, what are, where are the things that can go wrong in each of these steps? And then as a team deciding, okay, where do we think it's most likely going wrong? Where is the place to start with our intervention and start with that? Yeah. Very interesting. And I, I can't tell
1: you the number of times I've worked with teams to do that kind of process mapping and they're like, what, wait, you do that? Well, I do that. So for years, they've been duplicating process. So it can be so enlightening to do that kind of exercise.
3: Or, or, well, you do that that way. I do that this way. (laughs) (laughs) And then the
1: reception team says, well, of course, yes, we do it this way for this doctor and this way for for this doctor and this This way. And the amount of effort that, uh, you know, it's so
2: inefficient. I actually went into a clinic where I was acting as a, a facilitator for them. And that was the thing. They were all telling their nurse about like how urgent something was to recall a patient and they were all doing it a different way and so she was having trouble figuring out is this doctor's urgent more urgent than that doctor's <laughs> urgent And they didn't even know that this was going on. And as soon as they knew it was going on, they all came to an agreement as to what the best way was to have how urgent something was. And it made the nurse's life a lot easier. It made all of their lives easier because when they said something was really urgent, it was actually getting done at the urgency they thought it should be done because she knew exactly what they meant. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Uh, Nice way to remove some of the... Um, some of the inefficiency that might be in some of our practices through Mm -hmm. a couple fairly simple steps when you think about it.
2: And most of it is just thinking through what it is you're actually doing.
3: Because a lot of us
2: don't even bother. Well, it's not that we don't bother. It's that we, it's hard to take that time to sit and look at your practice because it's not a money generating thing, although it can be when you actually make the efficiencies. Um, And it's, it's extra emotional work. But the no pain, no gain. Thing actually fits in because if you are willing to go through that emotional work and take that time, it can actually make things a lot better in the end. Yeah.
1: Do you find, obviously, you're you're measuring as part of a uh, part of your QI approach? Do you find, um, you know, when you can share those measures with the team, does it have
2: an impact? Well, I think the first thing to say is the measurement. The baseline measurement is the most important thing mm-hmm. to start with mm-hmm. because. As physicians, we want to fix things.
3: Mm. So as soon as you
2: see a problem, you say, okay, let's fix it. Yeah. But if you haven't actually measured how big the problem is, mm-hmm. one, you don't know if it actually is a problem, and two, you don't know whether you've fixed it or not. And that's where the small things come in, where you don't need tons and tons to see how big the problem is. Like if you have 20 charts and three of them have an issue, then you do your little intervention, and next time one has an issue, you know that you've made some of an improvement, but you haven't totally got rid of it. Mm-hmm. And then you have to make a call as to whether you've made it good enough or whether you actually want to really fix it. Um, so that baseline measurement is really important. And then when your whole team can see that the intervention has made a difference, it's exciting. you start yeah. like, yes, we've done it. Let's try something else. <laughs> now, before you try something else, do you celebrate? Um, that's a good question. You should. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Sometimes we don't take enough time to celebrate our wins, even if they're little wins.
2: Yeah. For sure. Yeah. No, that's a really good thing. I know, like I did this as part of a project. And at the end, we had each of the clinics uh, just make a poster on what they had done. And they were so excited to share it with each other. And so maybe one of the things we should be thinking about is... It's not that hard to make a little poster these days. Most people can do it just on like using PowerPoint or whatever and then have them to put on the walls um, to show the patients that you're working on things or just in the lunchroom if you're not comfortable putting it out where the patients are. But I think the patients would want to know that we're working on trying to improve our practice. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I I know one clinic, they painted um, one of the walls of their hallway with chalkboard paint and they post their measures Uh, on that chalkboard and and it's you know the patients love it they feel like wow like you're trying to get better for us and and it and they can see it and they comment on it and and uh, and they get them involved in some of the measurement as well
2: oh that's great yeah yeah yeah.
3: so maybe we've talked about some of the uh, some of the skills around qi so you know measurement uh, basic skills in in mapping Mm -hmm. right um Talked about huddles in your clinics, forming a QI team, facilitation. So, if I was a team uh, or a clinic, kind of really looking to do this, where would I get some of those skills if I don't have them already on my team? Yeah, where, how would I go about getting some of those simple QI skills that could go a long way?
2: So, there is a web page. There's the IHI dot um, org that has lots and lots of things on it. Um, we actually, on the University of Calgary uh, page, have our resident manual, which has stuff that's very similar to the IHI, because we took some of the stuff from there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. um, so there is, there are places like that that you can go to talk about something. Yeah, well, so... Um, we train
1: improvement facilitators for PCNs across the province, and those IFs are all very skilled in leading quality improvement in clinics.
2: Yeah, I know at Foothills we have, yeah. uh, we call them liaisons. liaisons yeah. And, it's, yeah, they can go in, and they definitely have been helping our clinics um, look at their practices and make interventions and come up with improvements.
1: Yeah.
2: It is nice to have that facilitation guidance. It does yeah. help. Yeah, especially initially. Yeah.
3: So you know being uh, being attached to an academic institution, we talked about the difference between your research and quality improvement, you know, is there a way to turn quality improvement into research if you're doing it a lot in your practice or you're doing it as a leader across multiple practices?
2: Yeah, if you so it would become research when you want to make it so that it's applicable across, a lot of practices, so you're developing new knowledge. It, it's kind of a lot. A lot of the things that you would be doing as quality improvement wouldn't turn into research yeah, yep. because you really are just trying to improve the quality. <laughs> yeah. But you could turn some of the questions that come up from being in practice into a research to a budget. research
3: question. Yeah. yeah.
2: But it's not necessary.
3: So as we uh, as we draw this segment to a close, you know, the question that we ask, Michelle, which is you know, if you had one piece of advice to give to a team starting off on their quality improvement journey, what would you tell them to do?
2: Make sure everyone is involved, not just one particular role in the clinic, and make it small. Keep it small. Don't try to do things in a big way because you'll just turn everyone off. Mm, great advice. Thank you very much, Maeve.
1: That's that's i feel quality improving already (laughs) (laughs) our quality
3: is improving as we speak thank you very much
2: thanks so
0: much for tuning in check out the show notes for links to the tools resources and websites that were referenced in this podcast also we'd love to hear from you leave us a comment tell us what you thought and what you'd like to hear more about And until next time, grab your hammer
1: and keep building one nail at a time.